My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Exposed. The Departure. The Second Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Separation. The Deception. The Suspicion. Resistance. The Extreme Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Answer. The Beginning. So yeah, the proposal. Sorry, I'm eating an orange. Book 35. <laughs> We're just going to edit out everything that says for the next couple of minutes. I did not guess what the proposal was. No, it's a little more literal. Also, the proposal didn't really happen on the page. No. No, it really didn't. We're going to talk about that relationship. Yeah. Great. And everything involving the timeline. I had so many question marks in my notes. It was, uh, yeah. They were legion. <laughs> So yeah, you didn't predict it, but what did you think of it? I think this is a very fine Animorphs book. It's like not one of my favorites, but I liked the Cassie Marco dynamic. It yeah. was very funny. Uh, lots of good Marco and Axe humor moments and the kind of Marco humor that I appreciate, which is, you know, him being very aware of how, how important his humor is and also mostly not being a jerk about it. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice. I enjoyed it. It was fine. It was kind of middle of the road for me. I've discovered that I really have a lot of problems with the books where there are glaring plausibility errors in like the setup. Like, I don't really have a problem with, like, like oh, they 30, did this... Or 30, 30 for you again. 30, yeah. yeah. Like, they did this thing that, like, shouldn't have worked, but it worked in the end. Like, I'm kind of okay with that stuff. It's the, like, <laughs> your mom's been missing for two years and a few months. Oh, now I'm getting married. Also, apparently only a few months have happened. Like, there was some weird, like, seeming not to understand time in the entire series, and that threw me off a little bit, but overall I enjoyed it. I didn't really like this one. I don't know. I'm not really sure why, but, like, something about the the main concept, which is that Marco's morphs go wrong. Oh, so it's dumb, in, yeah. It doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> and for some reason, it has the kind of, like, capery feel of one of the funnier books, but it's just not in, it's like, not my top funny. five Animorphs capers. <laughs> yeah. So, like... I was trying to think about why, but like maybe the humor is more just kind of like general humor and not like based on the characters as much. Mm. But there are some good character moments. So I don't yeah, know. there's some good moments. It, I'm being kind of mild in my review of it. I I don't know. It kind of left me feeling eh. Yeah, but I, mm. I'm sure that I'll figure out why I feel the way I do as we talk about it more. Well, do you want to tell us all of the things that happened in it? Oh boy, let's see if I can remember. <laughs> so all right, so we find out at the beginning of the book while Marco and his dad are playing video games that Marco's dad has been dating. Marco's math teacher and it's getting pretty serious and Marco doesn't know how he feels about it but he doesn't feel great and then Marco sees on the TV this celebrity philanthropist talk show guy start to plug the sharing and Marco's like, oh no, here we go again. This guy is going to convince everyone to join the sharing. I'm going to have to call Jake and do something about it. So Marco calls a meeting and on his way to the meeting, he's going to morph a bird to get there quickly, which is what they always do. But he's distracted by his potential family situation and somehow morphs half Osprey, which he was trying to morph, and half lobster, which is completely useless and horrifying. <laughs> and we'll talk about it. Um, so... 
He ends up just biking to the meeting, which means he's way late, but he hides the fact that his morph went wrong in an inexplicable way from the rest of the group. And they come up with a plan to go to this TV host's house. The guy's name is William Roger Tennant, and they are a little bit wary that he might be expecting the Andalites to show up. But it turns out that William Roger Tennant has a bunch of um, birds. Cockatiels cockatiels as pets so marco and rachel infiltrate the house and morph cockatiels to do surveillance to try and figure out what's going on with this guy unfortunately so marco marco was worried about being able to successfully morph a cockatiel he does but he has trouble controlling the cockatiel's natural exuberance and william roger Tennant gets suspicious of him and almost kills him in cockatiel morph being barely restrained by uh, william roger Tennant himself, who is so attached to his pets that he won't let controller William Roger Tennant kill the bird. However, William Roger Tennant sends the house into lockdown. Uh, The Animorphs get into a battle. Marco tries to morph Gorilla in order to help, but he morphs half Gorilla, half Trout. Um, (laughs) And... Tobias sees him midway through morph, so Marco can no longer hide it from everyone else. He just demorphs and manages to escape He's worried that he might have been seen in human morph, but the Animorphs basically flee from a a dangerous fight. Then Marco has to come clean and sort of say, hey, my morphing's going wrong. Cassie has been kind of aware that something's going on with Marco, and so she says to the rest of the group, hey, Marco's having some issues with his dad and his math teacher right now, and maybe that's why. And Marco's like, gee, thanks, Cassie. But then he, you know... Axe says, well, I guess emotional imbalances could cause this kind of thing, but hand wave, hand wave, we don't really know what's going on. So the Animorphs come up with a plan, and I remembered this on my own. Jenny didn't help me at all. (laughs) The, The Animorphs come up with a plan to embarrass William Roger Tennant publicly so that his persona is destroyed and thus he will no longer be able to help people get into the sharing. And so there's a gala happening in town where William Roger Tennant and Hanson are the guests (laughs) of honor. And they decide that they are going to... Plan A is that they're going to morph roaches and hide in William Roger Tennant's salad to try and gross him out. But that plan doesn't work. Marco is chosen to be involved in the plan, even though his morphs are going wrong and he accidentally morphs half wolf spider, half skunk. So when their first plan doesn't work because the salad is delivered to Hanson instead of William (laughs) Roger Tennant, they decide that they're going to morph fleas and try and bite him while he's making a speech. That plan also doesn't work very well. Uh, We'll talk about all the gala (laughs) shenanigans probably in some depth. (laughs) So basically this whole night is a disaster and William Roger Tennant is able to get through Roaches being in salads, fleas biting him on his head, and Marco realizes that the only way to truly drive this controller to the breaking point is by morphing the most annoying creature that he's ever encountered, which is his math teacher's toy poodle. So they spend a week where Marco is in poodle morph, tormenting William Roger Tennant, but only in public, so William Roger Tennant can't kick the dog, which is obviously what he wants to do. And they wait until William Roger Tennant's going to be on a live TV 
broadcast, and then Mark is going to show up in dog form, and they're going to try and live stream William Roger Tennant being cruel to a dog in order to tarnish his reputation. Right when the plan is about to happen, Marco accidentally morphs. Yeah. The reason he does it is that right before that, he has a conversation with his dad, where his dad's like, how about I get married oh, yeah, to your math teacher? Proposal. Yeah. It's a proposal to Marco that his dad <laughs> and the math teacher get married. <laughs> Uh, okay. I'll probably <laughs> just leave that in. Um, With the audible forehead smack from Gray. Yeah. Uh, but just in case. So before they go on their final mission, Marco's dad is like, Hey, Marco, I know that you just caught me and your math teacher making out, but I have a serious question for you. Is it okay if I marry your math teacher? By the way, it's your choice. <laughs> um, a plus parenting move. <laughs> And Marco is obviously upset by this, and the next day when they are going to embarrass William Roger Tennant once and for all, a morphs part poodle, part polar bear, and is basically... The whole plan is going wrong, and Cassie has been trying to coach Marco through his emotions this whole book, and Jake is finally like, Marco, snap out of it. Just man up. And Marco's like, cool, and finishes his poodle morph successfully. William Roger Tennant tries to kill the poodle, but they stream this on TV, and um, William Roger Tennant's reputation is destroyed. Then we get, in an unusual turn, an epilogue where Mm -hmm. we see the two weeks have passed. Marco has been the best man at his father and Nora's wedding. All the other Animorphs attended, uh, including X, and Marco reflects on how, you know, Cassie's kind of right sometimes, and Jake's kind of right sometimes, <laughs> and he's kind of right sometimes. And we get all of this, like, mature emotional closure, but it's all in preparation for a twist ending, where the phone rings, and it's Marco's mother on the line saying, Marco, if you're there, please pick up. To Best be continued in but- Visser. <laughs> That is the best part of the book. <laughs> no. Why, why would you... I Listen. Fine. Except... I, yeah, I'm sorry I started editorializing towards the end there, but it's really hard <laughs> Never not apologize to. for that. <laughs> she left a voicemail message <clears throat> on the home answering machine. Intriguing, right? Why would she do that? Well, why would she do that? Why yeah, would she, she do that We should indeed. come back to this at the end, because it's more of a prediction thing. Yes. It has nothing to do with the rest of the book. <laughs> so... I do want to hear everything Gray has to think about this. <laughs> yeah, so where do we even start? You guys, I just I, I just want to start with the timeline in this book and the timeline of the series from the perspective of this Please. book are both ridiculous. Yes, go there on. There are like four times in the book where they imply it's been a few months since this war started. Marco's mom has now been missing for a little over two years. You know, I've been fighting aliens for a few months. Like, there is no way that all 35 plus the extra books have happened in a few months. It's been more than a year, yeah. It's been more than a year. We know that a few months passed between Jake's mom's and Jake's dad's birthdays, and those were like five books apart. Like, (laughs) it has been so long. What is this book talking about? It doesn't make any sense. And if it's only been a few months, like, Marco's like, yeah, a few months ago, my dad kind of got his act together, and, you know, we moved out of our apartment and stuff. Like, when did he start dating this woman that we've only just met in this book? Yeah. And then they get engaged, and then they get married two weeks later? Yeah. No matter how small your wedding is, it takes more than two weeks. There was a buffet. It's not that small. That did not happen. And it's not like a shocking one because they're like, they're both adults who presumably are into it, right? Like, there's no reason for them to rush through this. I mean, I could see them being like, you know what? We've already had big weddings. Maybe she's also been married before. Like, let's just go to the courthouse. Like, that doesn't seem to be what they did. All of the Animorphs came to the wedding. Yeah. Like, 
it wasn't like... It was like, a large enough wedding <laughs> that, that no, Tobias had asked to come yeah. and nobody thought it was weird. <laughs> exactly. In two weeks, has has no one involved in this book ever planned a wedding? Did Apple Grant not have a wedding? Like, did the editor not have a wedding? Like, what is going on? It doesn't make any sense. None at all. To the extent that I started that chapter, realized what was happening, and went back to the beginning of that chapter to see if there was a little thing at the top that was like, many months later, because <laughs> what are you talking about? I mean, right, that is the problem, is that it says specifically two weeks. Yeah. Why couldn't you have just said two months later, right? Who cares if yeah. we miss, like, two months of Animorphs time, right? There is no official timeline. Like, six months, it'd be a great time for a time skip, right? The only thing I can think of is that they're trying to obey some conceit of, like, middle-grade fiction where the characters don't age. Like, in Babysitter's Club, they are, like, 11 and 13 forever. Like, some of them are 11, some of them are 13. They never get older. And, like, Animorphs doesn't seem to have that exactly, but, like, maybe in this book they're trying to, like, maintain some fiction of that, like, yeah, we're all still in 8th grade, we're all still 13, and they just don't want to, like, bring to our attention that they got older? I don't know. I mean, maybe. But also so why I mean, it doesn't make wedding? any sense. So the, People, why, yeah, why that's a have good the question. In this book, it doesn't add anything to the. No, no, anything. no. I think the reason is because of the twist ending. So I guess maybe we should talk oh, about. Oh, I right? guess so that's why. Yeah. I think it's normally these books always end super abruptly, right? It's like mm-hmm. as soon as the plot is over, next we move on to the next thing, right? Mm-hmm. So the animorphs never have time to like stop and like reflect on what this has taught them because the animorphs are stuck in this state where they all have these issues they're working through and to some extent right if marco ever gets over the stuff that he's struggling with in this book he won't be the same character right like his (laughs) his essential reason for fighting is this hope that he can reunite his dad and his mom right and so his struggle is like in this book he's like oh man if my dad gets remarried then like it's going to be a lot harder for me to mm-hmm. stay in the battle in the same way that i have been right and so you get this like artificial closure at the end right we get the epilogue where marcus like you know what now i am actually really mature <laughs> i'm at peace and so if he's in that if he's if he's at peace for more than 2 weeks Maybe that kind of undermines this whole idea. <laughs> I mean, they could easily have done a thing where it's like, yeah, I told my dad it was okay for them to get married. And then like three books later, perhaps in 37 when everything else happens, yeah. then you could be like, yeah, we were at Marco's dad's wedding or something. And, you know, a few months have passed. Yeah. Maybe they plan it pretty fast. And then Marco's like complaining again about it. And, you know, he hasn't totally gotten over his issues. Like they could have done that, but they wanted to to do the segue into Visser and they wanted, I think, Marco's dad and Nora to be married so that like Marco's mom's voice on the answering machine would be much more alarming and shocking because oh no if she's back it's too late oh that's interesting and yeah I think that's what it is yeah that like Marco doesn't know in this book if she's alive or dead right and he of course doesn't know if he'll be able to bring her back and like maybe distantly there's some possibility but then at the end of the book actually a concrete connection for the first time in like the entire series and it's happened right after his dad married someone else that's so interesting I guess I don't see, and maybe that is the way it's supposed to be. I guess I don't necessarily see them getting married as like a no going back or, I, mean, I, I don't know. That, that, oh, it that does feel, feel like that to me. And I think it yeah. is that to Marco too. He's like, okay, his dad's dating. That's upsetting. His dad wants to get married. No, this is terrible now. My mom can't, like, it will be so much harder. And it would be much harder. But like, I, if you, if your spouse apparently dies 
and you start dating again and your spouse comes back, you have a difficult decision. Okay, but I think this is why <laughs> this is why I read it differently. Okay. To me, it's less that they get married and that Marco seems to be accepting of it, right? It's mm-hmm. more like Marco is starting to put these issues to bed personally and then his mom's voice is on the phone. That's, I think it's both things. I think, it is, I think it is too. It but is like, like a bigger obstacle to be legally married to a new person when yeah. your spouse comes back. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, I mean, the legal part's not so much because that think, second marriage is just... Illegal, then? Illegal. Yeah. Okay, yeah, but it's so much worse for, like, the dad Emotionally, the it's spouse. much worse. Yeah. I feel like it is it is kind of phoning it in on the timeline part, but it's also phoning it in to say, like, and Marco gets closure, and then we're going to... But, like, the only reason we can give him that is so that we can break it apart by the mm-hmm. end of the book. Well, right? especially because the whole sort of epilogue it's one chapter that starts with at the wedding and what happened at the wedding it's been two weeks I started thinking about this and realized that I needed to like move on and let my dad move on we had the wedding she moved in my mom called and like that happens in three paragraphs (laughs) but I don't feel that enough emotional closure was gained from those three (laughs) paragraphs to really justify the surprise of the last two sentences. I mean, I do remember when I read this book for the first time being so into the twist ending and so excited. (laughs) I'm still so into the twist ending. (laughs) No, but I just, I just, for me, I just, it's one of those things where like, Rereading it this time, I'm like, ooh, that's exciting, but like, I just want to read this right now, right? I can't, <laughs> right? But as a kid, it was like, <gasps> no, like, this is so, because the, the Visser 1 thing is like, for some reason, that like, oh, she comes back, oh, but then she's dead, but is she really dead? Oh, no, she's back. It's like, you've been predicting this, of course, yeah. that she's not dead until we see a body, right? But as, a, as an 11 year old, in book 40. as an 11 year old, it was always a surprise and a joy <laughs> to find out that she's still alive. And she, you know, knows how to, she's, she's reaching out to Marco for some reason. Like, does Mm -hmm. she, you know, what does she know? You know, it's great. Since we're talking about this. I know, we should just talk about it now. (laughs) But, but why does she leave a message? Why? Well, because no one picked up the phone. (laughs) Three people live in that house. For two of them, this is going to be a very difficult voicemail message to listen to. I mean, really, for all of them. For all of them, this is going to be a very difficult <laughs> voicemail le- message for them to listen to. What kind of situation do you think uh, yeah, like what Mr. Would One is them? in? I mean... I- she must be really desperate. There must be a really good reason for it, right? <laughs> um, um, okay, so... What- Just your face was so good there. What has happened is she's managed to call at a time when she is uninfested. Ooh, and okay. And she's about to be recaptured. Mm-hmm. But she remembers that Marco was right, there. Right, and, and, you know, has put two and two together that he's one of the Andalite bandits. Mm-hmm. And so she is calling him to tell him that she is briefly free and maybe tell him she loves him before Aww. she gets recaptured by the Yerks. Hey, you know what she's done now? She said his name. Aww. <laughs> Great. Fine. In your opinion, is that a good reason, a good enough reason for her to take this risk? To call or to leave a voicemail? To leave a voicemail. No. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah, I was hoping you could come up with something that would pass your high standards. No. Yeah. It's very dumb. It's like, I really, I really want in my brief moment of freedom to tell my son that I love him. But, you know, he didn't pick up the phone, so I'm just going to let this moment pass. That's, I guess that's what a reasonable person would yes, do in that situation. Because, <laughs> what, what, what do you mean you 
leaving I mean, a voicemail. Do you think she cares about like torpedoing the secrecy of like her apparent death? Or like she might care about throwing her husband's life and emotions into disarray. Yeah. She knows Marco's life is already in disarray. I don't think she would care about like letting out the Visser's secret. But I mean, yeah, that maybe, would be me. But yeah. if you called someone who thought you were dead, mm-hmm. I suggest a voicemail is not maybe the best <laughs> way to do it. But you only have like two minutes, Gray, and then you're gonna be reinfested. What do you do? Hope they pick up. <laughs> Okay, I'm sure she did that too. Call again. <laughs> Call again. I just, it was just a weird note because, is he going to erase the voicemail? That's a good question. Do you think you could bring yourself to erase the voicemail? No. Exactly. But that's why, like, this is a terrible idea because now you got to hope that his dad and Nora never listen to the answer phone. Maybe he'll steal the answering machine. Great. And it will just go yeah. missing. I mean, the unfortunately, it's the 90s, so it is after the time when answer phones had the tapes in them. So we can't just oh, take can't the just tape out the tape. and put a new tape mm. in. Yeah. That would be fine. But I think we're past that moment in technology. I could see Marco's dad being like really attached to his answer phone from the 80s. <laughs> okay, so maybe no, he's he just works take in tech. Tape. I'm sure he has a like modern answering machine. No, but if he if the old like, you know, analog still works great. Uh-huh. He mm-hmm. probably like, you know, maintains it himself. He <laughs> maybe he's overclocked it for extra extra tape storage. <laughs> We might just have to wait till next time to find out whether there's a tape or not. I'm actually I'm so glad that it doesn't just say to be continued and that it specifically says Inviscer because mm-hmm. I was really worried it would torpedo Grace prediction for 36. Oh, I'm also pleased. Well, we're not predicting 36 today. We aren't. What happens next? Oh no, we are. You're yeah. right. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right because it's the chronicle books that are outside Visser. of the chronology. Well, we can talk about how Grace prediction. Was yes, awesome. you are correct. I'm sorry. When is Visser? Okay. Is Visser the next one Visser we're reading? Visser is the next one we're reading. Great. But we aren't actually going to talk about this. So, like, Gray, you did a pretty good job. At some point, you mentioned Visser 1 being involved in the next book, in Visser. Oh, yeah. Good job, me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and then we were like, why is there an Andalite on the cover? And you were like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> no, what I said was, <laughs> because I remember how embarrassing this was, <laughs> how do we know that's Visser 3? <laughs> it's because... There's an Andalite on the cover, Gray. There's only one of those. I can say, I'll just say this briefly. The reason there's an Andalite on the cover is because the cover art was bought and paid for before they really knew what the book would be about. Uh, okay. <laughs> Spoilers, Ted. Spoilers. <laughs> then, uh, yeah, the Vissers come back. Big battle. Whatever uh, I said last time. I stand by it. Oi. Yeah, so can we talk about, since we talked about how the timeline doesn't make sense, can mm-hmm. we also talk about... Marcos. Well, first, I have one note, which is that we don't learn any of the Animorphs' parents' names by convention of secrecy. Mm-hmm. However, now that Marco's dad has married a math teacher named Nora Ramonette, <laughs> why don't we know his name? Like, if, if we can know Marco's stepmom's name, but not his dad's Do name, like, why is that? Do we think that's her real name? I don't know. Why can't, why can't we give Marco's dad a fake name, right? It's <laughs> a good point. And also, I mean... Are they using fake names everywhere? Like, is Mr. Chapman real? Because, like, if Mr. Chapman is his real name, I mean, there goes your secrecy. Well, no, I know, but I'm just saying it's just weird that that's where the the line is. It Uh kind of makes sense to me, like, oh, veil of secrecy around our family, and then the other people probably are like aliases, but whatever. Right. But at this point, it's really bizarre to me that he's like, Nora, 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 my dad. Well, I mean, it seems normal to me that you don't think about your parents' first names a lot. But wouldn't Nora use his first name? I don't know. We don't see her that much. (laughs) 
She doesn't have that. Like she doesn't have that many lines in this book. That's true. And they're people mostly about the dog. People don't use their first names that often. But okay. So what about Marco's nameless dad's parenting choice? That is a very strange parenting choice. I don't think it struck me as strange when I read this when I was like 14 or whatever. But I have to say, Marco, we've as been an through adult, a lot. I want you to have complete control over my love life. My love life. <laughs> I have to say, like. I was wondering, reading this, I was like, we had conjectured that Marco got his, like, scheming brain from his mom. Maybe he got it a little bit from his dad, and his dad was like, okay, I know my son. The only way he'll accept this is if I pretend to let him have control over it. I'm going to do this gamble where I'm going to let him say yes, and I think he will say yes, and then he'll have bought in. It's not a good plan. It's no, not a good plan. I think I think he's just <laughs> really afraid of Marco uh, <laughs> and is completely, that's probably sub- more likely. And completely submitting to him here. <laughs> Also, because, like, I don't know, they get caught making out on the couch or whatever, and yeah. they seem super flustered by it. But it's like, you should have seen this coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's just really used to Marco being gone yeah. all the time. Why are you with Jake's? Jake's? <laughs> there is a great moment at the sort of towards the beginning where they're hanging out, they're like playing video games, and then his dad's like, What do you want to do next? Should we do your homework? Should we watch a movie? <laughs> and Mark's like, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm going to Jake's. And his dad is actually like kind of crushed. They're having uh-huh. a nice father son yeah, moment, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's very sad about it. So I do think some of it is just having a teenager is difficult. Yeah. And yeah. Especially a very evasive teenager who's trying to save the world secretly. Yeah. And so I can kind of see him him trying to give Marco some sense of control over something that he really has no control over. Yeah. You know, I just is... think it's dishonest. It's a tough conversation, but I yeah. think you should just be like, he should own his emotions and not try and make it some negotiation that it's yeah. not. It's if like... Marco said no, would his dad actually not marry Nora? Because that's a terrible idea. Yeah. Like, yeah. don't do... Like, Mark will get over it in a few years. Like, ha- spend your life with this woman you love. Yeah. I don't think it was a good move. Can we also talk about the very weird thing where Marco's morphs start going wrong in this way that should be impossible for, like, no reason except, like, his emotions are messed up, which this is not the first book where someone has felt a little conflicted about a thing. Yeah. So can we just clarify? There is no textual support for why these morphs go wrong and not other morphs in this book, right? It right. seems completely random. Well, it seems to me when he's more upset. It doesn't? He, it doesn't always have to be when he's more distracted thinking about, like, the his dad Nora situation. Sometimes he's just afraid or whatever. But that doesn't make any sense in the context of the series where people are, like, afraid and full of emotions all the time. Right. So Marco's sort of canonically the worst morpher, right? Is that why? Oh. Oh, I guess he is. I've never really thought about that. Yeah, he's got that flea thing that one time. Yeah, where he had the hardest time morphing out when it was near the time limit. Have we seen other instances of him being really bad at it? I don't know. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like... Oh, when he, in, in book 10, when he was having like more emotions, he had trouble controlling the spider's mind. Right. Or he got really into the spider's mind. It was hard to tell. Right. So I guess we've seen him, his control over morphing be a little bit tied to his emotions before. Right. But like, this is bananas. Also, he morphs in the same period he'll like morph several times fine and then all of a sudden it's like and now surprise spider yeah. skunk some of them some of them made more sense like I feel like at the end when he's morphing the poodle and he's actively distracted by like my dad wants to marry this woman and I have to decide and then it goes wrong like that seemed a very like specifically his emotions are messing this one up but the, you're right that Ted that there were definitely instances in the middle of the book where it's like why this morph right why not every morph in the series so far if that's how it goes well okay and does it great, you keep I keep saying stuff when you're about to say something, so I'm gonna let you say something. Oh no, I was just I don't it doesn't make any sense. Never mind. Go ahead. Does it work thematically at all? No. That's how I feel. It's like like 
sort of, and then I'm, he's I'm, really I'm totally on board for breaking the morphing rules or introducing a new element for one book where it's, like, actually really meaningful. But this yeah. just seems like, wouldn't it be wacky if... Yeah, no, I was definitely picturing them sitting around being like, what are the weirdest animals we can combine? Ooh, a skunk and a spider. I love spider skunk. I love spider <laughs> skunk so much. I haven't looked to see if there's fan art yet, but I love it. <laughs> you know, osprey and lobster. Well, lobsprey. And- what, what else could you possibly call a lobsbury, Jenny? Just get them oh, all out. An obster. Yeah, great. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, wait, is it an obster or an ospster? I was going with obster, but ospster is also possible. Or ospster. Can I call it a lobsbury? <laughs> it does seem to be building a little bit on the last book. Yeah. Where suddenly things were able to, Cassie in particular, but they were they have been able to yeah. do weird morph things more recently of... You know, me, but small, and whales with wings, and whatever. So, like, maybe we're building on, hey, remember all of those rules about morphing that we set so carefully in the first dozen books of the series? (laughs) Forget all of that. Just throw it all out. We're doing whatever. I feel like they might have gotten a little concerned. They're like, oh, there's nothing new to do with morphing anymore. They've morphed all the animals. We've done some weird stuff. Okay, what if we start combining animals now? And I kind of buy the Cassie thing. Because they've never really tried anything like that before. And she is the best morpher. And it was really difficult. And she pulled it off. This is just like, where is this coming from? It doesn't make any sense. Also, Pooh Bear, really? I like that. Yeah, because he is not more upset in this book than he's been in many of his other books, even if we're just looking at Marco. So I'm trying to think, we've talked before about how the morphing thing, you could be able to break out of the morphing constraints if you thought about it a little differently. It's sort of like everyone expects morphing to work this one way, Mm -hmm. but the state of the art in terms of what what is possible hasn't been fully explored by Mm -hmm. the Andalite scientists, right? And so like Cassie's thing is kind of like with expert concentration and focus, she can kind of trick her brain into letting her do this kind of, yeah. you know, morph preservation thing, right? So is there any way, like, that Marco's, like, so, you know, ADHD that he's, like, <laughs> he's trying to morph into two things at once? Or, like, is his imagination so poor that he's... Like, I, I don't... I, it did I, I, seem I would, to be about focus, maybe. It doesn't seem to fit my current theory about how morphing, like, should work. Yeah, because I do kind of like the idea that, like... You know, brains are capable of all sorts of weird stuff. We haven't really tested their limits, and brains control this technology in in a way that is, you know, it's like imagination-driven. And so you can, like, push the limits a little bit, but, like, I don't think they created a strong enough psychological situation to, like, create what Marco's going through in this book. Yeah. The other element that we haven't talked about is when he becomes the the Pooh Bear, perhaps Polar Boodle, prefer that, (laughs) at the end. He is able to then finish morphing into Poodle, right? So it's not like... Oh, yeah. I always think of morphing as like... He doesn't a, have to de It's like an A to B thing, yeah. right? So it's it's sort of like he's doing two morphs at once, and then he's able to maybe go to one way or one the track. other, uh-huh. right? So, like, that's kind of an interesting, an interesting way to think about it, is that, like, I'm not sure how that would work in mm-hmm. terms of, like, being able to morph two things at once versus not. But it seems like he's not finished morphing until he gets all the way to one proper animal. 
Yeah. Um, it could also be the kind of thing where, like, if the first time it's a fluke a little bit or, like, he loses concentration a little bit. But once he thinks that that's oh, what's happening, yeah. then he realizes it. And then, like, now that he thinks maybe there's something wrong with me, am I going to start doing this? Vicious cycle. Subconsciously, yeah. he's making it happen over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Then there'd be a lot of room for morphing to go wrong based on your expectations. Yes. Yeah. If if Elfinger had just told them something different at the beginning, they could be morphing combo animals all the time. Is this a frillis maneuver? I don't think so. I don't think so. Because Axe can't, like, fully demorph into Cassie if he wants to. Right? No. And it did seem like he did something specific when he acquired them. And now he has, like, a specific DNA combination that he does every time. It's not like, I'll just morph these four people and see what combination I end up with. Yeah. This was a great example, Gray, of them violating your rule of always tell other people when something weird is going on, because probably there's a bigger cause than you think. In this case, that was not true, but they still should have told them. Even if there wasn't, isn't a bigger cause, which there isn't in this particular situation. Do you know why you tell your team? You tell your team because otherwise you get halfway through uh, some sort of caper or mission. (laughs) And you're a gorilla trout. You're a gorilla trout. (laughs) This is not useful. I did really enjoy Rachel yelling at him and then him being like, what about when you had that allergy and you said it was fixed and it wasn't? And she was like, I'm going to let someone else yell at you now. That was great. (laughs) Is there a reason why he wants to be a lobster, a trout, a skunk, or (laughs) a polar polar bear bear when those things happen? Polar bear, definitely plausible. Yes, aggressive. He's really mad. Maybe the skunk is a Pepe Le Pew reference because he just talked to that (laughs) waiter guy. Okay, okay, we're on a roll. (laughs) Accepted. I'll take whatever I can get. Uh Trout. This is the hard one. Well, he just saw the toupee flapping around and he was reminded of the trout. Okay, Uh, lobster? (laughs) Um, He felt like he was being trapped. I was going to say that he he wants to be a really strong predator. No, it's bad. It's bad. Anyway. It doesn't make any sense, but also tell your team. Like, there's, yes. I understand that, like, he thinks it's it's just going to happen, but it's not even, like, sometimes when they keep things from one another, it's because they understand the cause and they're hoping that they can control it themselves. Yeah. But the times when I get most frustrated are the times when they don't know what's happening and they don't know why. Right. And they're like, I don't know. I guess I'll just keep that information in my head forever. And that's not useful because... You can't get any additional information. And right, Axe usually knows stuff. Yeah, well, <laughs> Axe sometimes knows stuff. Makes up plausible explanations for what is happening. Well, um, there, he knew about the Herathalyn. Sure. <laughs> Why don't they just electrocute Marco? You know, it worked with Rachel. <laughs> I was really surprised when, like, a week has gone by or whatever, and Jake's like, sure, you can come on this mission. I was like, Jake, how could you let him do that when you know he's not over it? And I was like, oh, Jake doesn't know he's only in the middle of a book. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Jake has no way of knowing when this problem is going to resolve itself. It's going to be at the end of the book. Okay. Good point. I'm now just wondering, because you were mentioning before, kind of like, if it were more serialized, you'd see, like, you could just sort of have, like, a timeline that makes sense, and then thread all of the character arcs through it in the way that you would see in kind of, like, a serialized series normal serialized story normally, right? What do you Instead mean if of, it were more serialized? Like... It's very serialized. I guess I don't mean... Do you mean if it were, like, a set-length series, like Harry Potter or something? I mean serialized instead of episodic, right? It's fairly serialized, but, like, this is... 
Oh, okay. The sort of like episodes just flow into each other, that kind of serialized? Yeah, yeah. Like Alias or something, where like there are no stopping points to any of the plot lines and it just like... Yeah, it just keeps going. Keeps It just keeps Mm -hmm. going. Yeah, I don't don't know if that's the right way to describe it, but the... If it were less episodic, I guess you could say. If it were less episodic, for sure. It would just be so interesting because you could just introduce, oh, Marco is having this morphing problem Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the reader of this book knows that it will get resolved and probably never come up again, Uh right? Because that's the (laughs) way this kind of middle grade episodic sci-fi series works right Uh like we're never going to get another morphing allergy story right but if you knew that marco could do these half morphs or that rachel was allergic to reptiles or something and it could come back Uh at any time Uh it was like part of the you know toolkit that the author can draw on for like Hmm. suspenseful things that can go wrong Hmm. it just it just be very different yeah different set of possibilities should we talk about how terrible their plan was in sneaking into william roger Tennant's house yeah let's talk about that great always i love talking about how terrible their plans are. It was so bad. I liked how when they were sneaking in to the house in daylight as cocktails, Rachel was like, we are the ultimate burglars. You are not. <laughs> you could have more of something so much less conspicuous Wait, than a I cocktail. I think she, she might have meant they're the ultimate burglars. <laughs> oh, no. I don't, I don't know if I even have the will to make the rest of my point. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but my point is, why don't they just go in at night? Why don't they go in while he's at the studio? They could open his laptop and read stuff. Then at the end, when everything has gone wrong, when Marco's like, what should I throw to break this window? This book? This chair? No, I'll throw the laptop. Not, I will take the laptop and use it to find the incriminating information we were hoping for. Doesn't cross his mind. I have no idea what they were hoping to gain from this mission. I also do not. I It just, it doesn't make any sense. I think that... This is one of the few plans that kind of is inspired by Rachel mm-hmm. and her understanding of the world. Throwing <laughs> um, Rachel under the bus. No, no, which she's actually not wrong. It's just that the plan that they come up with is not the best way to achieve the goal that Rachel has set. They're trying to get William Roger Tennant off the air permanently. And Mm -hmm. she says, we dig up some dirt on him. Major smear campaign. That's how you take down a celebrity. Unless he's like a politician or an athlete, they're immune. Hilarious. Good insight, Rachel. Love that. But like, that's (laughs) actually, okay, that's fine. Good point. I feel like it's naive about how long a smear campaign will actually affect someone, which might be a relic of the 90s. I mean, we've seen a lot of... A lot of... uh, Really terrible things where the people are still perfectly well respected. And also, by large how long of their history. it takes to come up with a smear <laughs> and get all of that information, uh-huh. and how people, how long people but are going to believe it. Like it's the in the the nineties media environment, it was much easier to universally smear someone. And oh, have, maybe have yeah. a predominant narrative. Right? Okay, I think that's one of the big differences. But you know what they should have done? They should have uninfested him. This is a perfect candidate for uninfesting someone because... Wait, why? Because you need to have this guy go away. You don't want to kill him because you don't want to kill the host, but you need to get him off the air. And you can probably extrapolate, as I assume happened at the end of this book, if he gets his reputation ruined, the Yorks are just going to get rid of him. Oh yeah, he definitely dies. Yeah. So why don't we save his life by stealing him, uninfesting him, he knows how terrible the Yorks are, send him off to Uzbekistan with Jeremy Jason McColl. And, like, that way he gets to live, he's not on the air, the Yurk is dead, everyone wins. This is very interesting. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, so first, I totally agree that they, that he got killed at the end. So I want to ask, 
Marco, once William Roger Tennant is established as kind of this, like, you know, crazy villain, like, kind of stereotype, is not actually yeah. that interesting of a character. Unhinged, yeah. Right, right, right. The, you know, there's the horrifying bit where he's trying to, like, squeeze the life out of Marco, right? And then... Yeah, Marco is a bird, his, like, ribs are cracking, yeah. Right, right. Really terrible, really terrible. And then Marco is like, you know what, when I come up with this idea of, like, morphing a dog and tormenting this guy, I actually am really enjoying, Mm -hmm. you know, how much he's suffering at my, at my hands. He seems to have forgotten there's also a man in there, right? So, like, is it... Um how do you guys feel about his decision to feel good about tormenting William Roger Tennant, given the- I'm actually okay with that, because I yeah. think William Roger Tennant is okay with that. Because the real William Roger Tennant is sitting in there being like, you jerk, you're being mean to my animals. And then an animal comes along and is mean to him and isn't really, like, horribly hurting his body. He's just, like, psychologically tormenting the yerk. He's not psychologically tormenting the man, who's yeah. probably thrilled to see this yeah. happening. yeah. Yeah. And this so this actually is one of the few cases in which they get to hurt a yerk and not hurt the host. That's a good point. I think I was worried about it at the time because of the thing that happened. Like I was like, but you know that if your plan succeeds, you will die. Right. That so is the I thing agree. they don't seem to have considered. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the other thing is you you bring up this this idea that William Roger Tennant would happily retire to Uzbekistan. <laughs> to avoid being reinfested. Uh-huh. Is that what William Roger Tennant would do? Because we, mm. we learn a little bit about the guy's well, reputation. That's a good question. And I think that he... He'd want to, like, stay and help. Right. Because so he's, he's this really interesting portrait of a, like, celebrity philanthropist who mm-hmm. all the Edmorphs are like, yeah, if he wasn't a controller, I'd say he's, like, a really good guy because he gives so much of his money away and mm-hmm. he, you know, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. He's all about the healing power of love and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. he also mm-hmm. that also strikes me as the kind of person who would not obey the orders of a 14-year-old general. You're correct. I think they would have to uninfest him without revealing their identities and, like, you know, pretend to be Andalites because he probably knows about Andalites now because he's had a yerk in his head. And, like, warn him, like, you should leave. If you stay, you're going to have to go into hiding we can't help you with that because i think he's a loose cannon and they've learned their lesson like you if you stay the yurks will probably find you and kill you you should really go and i think maybe they can't control what happens after that all right yeah that's interesting yeah they also don't consider uninfesting him and having him be the celebrity face of open resistance to the yurks, i think right? the yurks would just come and kill him right yeah i don't think he would have very long he wouldn't survive very long as right. a celebrity face of that it could be interesting if they managed to i mean the yurks would know if they ha- if they take him for three days but if they manage to take him for three days get him uninfested and then quickly get him on the air perhaps with the help of rachel's father mm-hmm. and like get him to do an interview about the yerk menace and like that could be a way to like publicize it the yerks might come kill him after that but like if they decided they want to break this whole thing wide open could be a good way to do it <laughs> yeah i'm a little skeptical of the the whole philanthropist celebrity thing but we know at least one good thing about him which is he cares enough about his cockatiels to be able to stop yeah his yerk from killing Marco. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't actually know. Obviously, we don't know that much about his character when he's uninfested. But he probably does hate the yerks at this point, so. Right, right. Yeah, he does a advice talk show. <laughs> 
It's a lot he's of probably very charismatic and uh, probably good at manipulating people. I don't know. I pictured him as Frasier, but with a like TV show instead of a radio program. Yeah, is he supposed to be someone real? Is he a riff on someone? I don't think so. I mean, it's almost like a foreshadowing the Tom Cruise Scientology thing, right? That's that's what it made me think of the most. But yeah. this was before that. That's a good point. Both in the sense of beloved celebrity endorsing a cult and beloved celebrity looking unhinged on air. Mm, good point. <laughs> You know who's still getting cast in movies? Is it Tom Cruise? Yeah, it's, Tom Cruise. it's not William Roger Tennant. Because he's dead. <laughs> it's probably true. Do we want to talk about some of the Cassie and Marco stuff and the Jake yeah. and Marco stuff? Our OT3. Yeah, really interesting OT3 stuff in here. I love Marco's first description of Cassie. <laughs> yes. Um, I think it's in, it. it's in contrast to Rachel, right? Let me find it in my notes. Cassie and Rachel are best friends. Like me and Jake, they're almost complete opposites. While Rachel's well-dressed and prone to violence, Cassie's a slob and good and caring and strong. And usually right. <laughs> Rachel, well-dressed and prone to violence. It's such a good summary. Sort of. Uh, Actually, this reminds me. So he's earlier in this scene, he's really mean to Rachel and Tobias about watching TV together. Yes, he is. Um, But the funny thing is, he's like, yeah, I guess this was over the line. I guess I'll have to apologize to Tobias later. Yeah. Does not expect or think that he needs to apologize to Rachel. He's happy to to burn Rachel all day long in his mind and he knows that that's how she wants it. It's true. It's it's how their (laughs) dynamic works. I like at the end where he's like, I was the best man. You can fill in your own joke. Rachel filled in several. Like, yeah, of course. Of course she did. Yeah, so Cassie, we've been saying a lot about how, what Cassie's role is to the group. And here she, like, does the most explicit, like, emotional intervention we've ever seen. Where she Mm -hmm. shows up at Marco's door unannounced and is like, hey, Marco, you need to talk about your feelings right now. Please let me in. Offer me a cookie. Right. I really enjoy the contrast. If you give Cassie a cookie, (laughs) she's going to ask for a glass of milk. (laughs) And emotional insights. I'm sorry, No, it's okay. It was worth it. I enjoyed the contrast between Cassie and Jake's approaches here. I did feel like the thing where Cassie shows up at Marco's door. I don't know. I'd like your perspective on this. Is this in character? It feels really pushy for her in a way that like I was surprised by. And I think sometimes we do see it, not usually in her books. Mm-hmm. I, it made me feel a little bit like the thing you sometimes get in narration where the author's like, I want my main character to talk about their problems. I know. Let's have a secondary character very insistently ask them about their problems in a way that no one would in real life. And like, it wasn't quite at that level, but it was approaching that where I was like, she's she's really forcing herself on him in a way that I feel like Cassie would maybe not do. It's interesting. It's a little bit like self-righteous Cassie, mm-hmm. uh, especially with the way that it's painted at the end. Maybe she got split into two. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is mean Cassie. Um, <laughs> mean Cassie, Cassie is just is like a very Cassie. forceful therapist. Yeah. I don't know. I mean... It's really interesting. I have some problems with the like the way that this whole thing gets resolved at the end. But mm-hmm. the way that Cassie and Marco's dynamic here, if Cassie is taking Marco's problem really, really seriously, uh-huh. in that if Marco keeps doing this, he's going to get himself killed. Yeah. It kind of makes sense that that would maybe push her this far towards towards wanting to help out. That's fair. But I think it's more just like this is a side of Cassie who's like... She's trying to help, and this is the only way she knows how. It's just, mm-hmm. the thing that seems not Cassie about it is that she feels like it's her responsibility to do it, right? But certainly, if she felt it was her responsibility, I feel like this is the, the approach that she would take. She would be like, look, Marco, I know you just need to talk about your feelings, right? Maybe she's diagnosed that his morphing problem is 
toxic masculinity. And mm-hmm. if he would just open up to her a little bit, then, you know, his morphing problem would go away. Yeah, but, needs you know, to break that guy code. Yeah, the gender reduction is a little not I, the point. I don't know. I feel like this was very much referring to, like, guys are socialized to not share their emotions, which is true. And I think is, we've talked about how that's a big part of the problem between Marco and his dad. So I think she's kind of she's kind of on point here by being like, you won't talk about your feelings because of the guy code. Yeah, it's a good point. I think, so the, the scene where she shows up and is forcefully asking him to share with her mm-hmm. is just for the preteen listeners of our podcast. On <laughs> the many, the many preteen listeners. Is the reason that one goes to an actual licensed therapist (laughs) (laughs) and doesn't necessarily only talk to your friends because her approach is (laughs) to explain to Marco all of the things that have happened in his life recently, how bad they are, and how poorly his emotional reactions to them have been, how, how poor they have been. And that's not a useful therapy. Because he knows all of that. So do you think Cassie is motivated by guilt that she killed his mom? Whoa. Because that was the last thing. Like It's not mentioned at all. But like, it kind of makes sense that she's like, maybe she's like projecting a little bit because she's like, oh man, like I ruined, like I, Marco, this last, she was really upset in book 30, right? That Marco was putting himself in the situation. Mm-hmm. We talked about at the end, she's the one who kind of swoops uh, Visser one yeah. off the cliff, right? So maybe here, this is like this is maybe this is why she feels responsible that like mm-hmm. it's her problem to try and fix. And she does, despite the fact that this is not, as you point out, Craig, a good therapy approach. And maybe because of that, she does <clears throat> manage to get him to the point where he's like, "Oh no, how could I have done what I did in book 30? He's like, "What did I do?" And I guess is this the first time he's grappled with that or like felt that in that way? But that is perhaps also a nod to it would be better to have <laughs> a qualified therapist there to help him process that. Yeah. But I After also bringing think, up those emotions. No, that's, that, I'm so glad that you made that point, Gray, because it needs to be said. But I also think that this is why Cassie is like a problem for the group, because in her role as, you know, a armchair <laughs> psychiatrist... She wants Marco to, to acknowledge the truth, even if it will destroy him, yeah. right? And that is a pretty... That's the mighty Cassie approach. That's the mighty Cassie <laughs> approach. And it's it's not good for maintaining balance on the team, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. which is what Jake does at the end. He's like, I know how to talk to a man about his feelings. I tell him, stop having feelings. <laughs> and he, if he knows what's good for him, he'll listen to me. And it works, right? Which is, I think the book celebrates that a little more than it should, but I think that's what's going on there. Yeah, although I do want to talk about that moment, because let's talk about that moment. (laughs) While I do not necessarily recommend Jake's approach for life in general, Mm -hmm. in the middle of a battle... Yes. Oh, that's a really good point. This is correct. So what's happening is he's... Marco has turned into half poodle, half polar bear. This is the poo bear or polar boodle uh, morph. <laughs> so it's basically, he's, he's 800 pounds of hyperactive poodle, which, by the way, terrifying. Oh, yeah. A toy poodle the size of a polar bear is... Oh, it would kill everything. And that is the scariest yeah. mutant morph that is created in this Absolutely. book, by far. Yeah, it's worse than the dinosaurs. This is terrifying. And he gets completely lost in the morph. He he calls Tenant a seal yerk. <laughs> Hilariously, um, because he wants to kill him so badly. No. And 
Cassie is very calmly talking to him. You're lost in the morph, Marco. Get a handle on it. You can. You had another mixed morph. It's going to be okay. Remember the mission. And talk to me with talk, your friends. Talk to me. He, she's being very soothing. And Jake says, talk my butt. Marco, cope. Now. That's an order. And and it works, right? It was like a bucket of ice water dumped on my head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Kat, I, think, I think this says a lot about the dynamic that will exist in this OT3. I'm just yes. saying. No, I think it's exactly right. But then when they go on and Cassie continuing to talk to him says Jake he's going through some bad stuff he's stressed his dad is and Jake replies and I loved this Cassie you know I love you and admire you but be quiet you listen to me Marco we have zero time for your self-pity I don't care what your problems are you deal with this right now I started to shrink so he he he's like okay great yes he Jake my leader has given me in the midst of a battle a direct order I can follow that yeah. I don't have I I will deal with my emotions later and he does but yeah. at this moment I need an order and and that's what happens and then Cassie continues talking that's not exactly enlightened behavior Jake Cassie shot back obviously angry if he's having stress and Jake replies Cassie he's not you he's not Rachel he's not even me he's Marco what he needs is to pull his head out of his rear end and remember what he always says life is either tragedy or comedy usually it's your choice you can whine or you can laugh and it's like it's a great way to speak to him but also Cassie in that moment is not being helpful and again not obeying directions and the middle of a battle. Right. And when you're in that situation, you guys have chosen Jake as your leader, you have to listen to him. Even yeah. if the the choice that he's making is not armchair therapist approved, it is still what has to yeah, happen. It's also, this is like, it's funny because Marco's problem here isn't that, like, he is kind of being self-indulgent in mm-hmm. a way, right? Like, the stakes here are pretty low. It's not that That's personal, true. right? Like, he's, it's really like Marco is just being a problem, be, like, outside of the group, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I was trying to think, because sometimes Cassie's approach is appropriate, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, when Marco gets trapped as a flea, she has to be very empathetic mm-hmm. to coach him out of it, right? And it wouldn't, I don't think it would have worked for Jake to be like, Marco just demorph already, Absolutely. right? Like, mm-hmm. But that, what they were going through with David was a lot more kind of like existentially mm-hmm. bad at the time, right? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, and that wasn't, that wasn't the result of emotional, an emotional problem on Marco's part. That was like, he is actually in the process of getting stuck in morph and only by extreme concentration right. would he be able to get out of it. And this is... Well, yeah, it is almost like, right, it's sort of like, yeah, if the problem is feelings, Cassie maybe isn't the best one to help. She's just going to give you more feelings. <laughs> or, or not, again, contextually, right? Yeah. In When she comes to his house and she's talking him through it, again, maybe not the best approach to this, but she has the right idea, right? He has uh-huh. these emotions. He, he does he need does to talk to, to someone about think it. About yeah. I do love how well they communicate in that scene yeah. because it's like, I think that even though the stuff that she is saying is probably hurting him, I do mm-hmm. think he wants to talk to her and he wants yeah. to share, right? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't stop him from deflecting and his deflections don't stop her yeah. from mm-hmm. continuing to reach out. So I, I just, I love this thing where she just lets the jokes wash over her. She doesn't react at all. And it seems to work really well for their dynamic. <laughs> yeah. I did enjoy when she puts her hand on his arm and he's like, does Jake know you're here flirting with me? And she just lets it go. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, because obviously he does know he's okay with it. <laughs> right, exactly. Jake That's doesn't true. know yet and is not yet okay with it, but he will be. So I really like how Jake reacts in this scene with the like, Cassie, I'm affirming your value to me, but you I can't you can't do this right now. He doesn't say shut up, he says be quiet, which is good. Good control, mm-hmm. Jake. 
I feel like Cassie saying like, that's not exactly enlightened behavior, Jake, really comes across as like an exaggerated stereotype yes. of like her type. Yeah. And it, I don't know, it, it rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. Mm-hmm. All right, you guys, I think this is the time to drop some knowledge on this podcast. Do you want to oh. guess who this ghostwriter was? Uh, it was a man. Was it a man? Who wrote? Oh, oh no. It wasn't the one who wrote the Rachel one, is it? No. Oh, no, because okay. there wasn't was a ghostwriter for the Rachel one. Oh, right. I'm sorry. No, I don't know. This is the second and last book by this man. 28? 25. Oh, 25. Oh, okay. Which one was 25? That was the Arctic one, the polar bear one. Oh, fine. <laughs> but which also had some interesting, that was like Cassie being like, just because blah, 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 like where she speechifies about oh, her philosophy and stuff. Yeah. Oh, I kind of liked that, though. Yeah. Like, I feel like that was a nice... Summary of Cassie's So this author likes polar bears as well. <laughs> that is funny. He does. Re- he right. He remembers that they have polar yeah. bears. Yeah. I thought it might be twenty eight because this is one of the ones that references a lot of Axis TV stuff when a lot of the more recent books haven't, uh-huh. which we yeah. should talk about later. But no, yeah, twenty five yeah. thirty five for this guy. Hmm. Huh. Uh, okay, he doesn't come back. Yeah, I like his Marco voice, but yeah, the portrayal of Cassie here is kind of. I weird. do like his Marco voice, and actually, he's like less of a Marco is less of a um, kind of misogynist in this book, so I. I Does it? Kind of assumed, but I don't know. We'll talk about some of the. There was some sexist stuff that rubbed me the wrong way later. Mm. There always are. Who knows? <laughs> I did. Yes. I did oh, there really was. Yes. I did appreciate that Marco was not so skeevy that he was just like my math teacher is hot. Like get it, Dad. He's like. <laughs> He's like reluctantly acknowledging that like she's, she's kind of pretty. She's kind of pretty. I really but, didn't care. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's much more realistic. While um, we're talking about Marco's emotional reaction to the stuff, the whole life is either tragedy or comedy thing. Yeah. This thing at the end, like I kind of liked it, but I I was a little skeptical of it in some ways. It's like I remembered what I've always believed, what my mom taught me, which is kind of a nice, you know, connection to his mom bit. You know, things are either awful or, you know, they're a tra- tragic or comic. He's like, is life a big, long, tiresome slog from sadness to regret to guilt to resentment to self-pity or is life weird, outrageous, bizarre, ironic, and just stupid? Gotta go with stupid. It's not the easy way out. Self-pity is the easiest thing in the world. I kind of liked that because I yeah. feel like that's a nice reflection on self-pity. Yeah. He's, he a, says, he's an absurd. Yeah, finding the humor, the irony, the slight justification for a skewed skeptical optimism, that's tough. And I feel like my slight quibble with that is that I feel like finding the irony and the humor in something and feeling self-pity about it are not at all contradictory. Hmm. I am very able to do those two things at the same time, (laughs) especially to be like, wow, I have the worst luck in the world. Look at this conjunction of these two events in this like weird, like ironic way. Like it's hilarious that this happened and I am just like the like most unfortunate person ever for suffering mm. this like i feel like those are very compatible positions yeah but like what what gets you to go what gets you to take the optimistic direction between those points and not the pessimistic direction between those points ooh <laughs> Oh, well, for me, it's mostly remembering that self-pity feels really terrible <laughs> <laughs> i don't know how that applies to marco here so there's a sort of meme going around about the difference between millennials and Gen Z mm-hmm. that I it makes me laugh every single time I see it. So obviously Marco, with the rest of us, is a millennial. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in this particular situation, he may actually be more like Gen Z because it's about <laughs> their approach to life. The millennials are nihilistic and recognize that all of life is you know very depressing and there's no goodness, whatever, and we're very sad about it. And Gen uh-huh. Z is like, their life has no meaning. Meaning. <laughs> Great. <laughs> like, that means we can do anything. Let's, you know, 
wear bright colors and <laughs> all go dancing into hell together. And <laughs> and I, I think that Marco has that optimistic nihilism, like life is completely meaningless, mm-hmm. so we might as well have some jokes about it. Um, Just remembering Marco at the at the dance in 33 and how happy he was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, Tobias is a real millennial. Yes. <laughs> I really appreciate how Marco does have this, like, sort of happy nihilism thing going on. But he also, sometimes when he tries to use that to bypass his conscience, he can't do it. Like, Mm. he has this, like, this fundamental sticking point of, like, oh, okay, but I really should call Jake about this thing that I saw on TV, even though I know it's going to suck for me. Like, he he can never... We've seen multiple instances of him trying to be like, but it's fine. I don't. We don't need to do this thing. We don't need to try to get Axe back to space or whatever. Yeah. Oh, but think of his parents who are missing him. Oh, fine. I hate this conscience. Well, it's, an inter- it's interesting that this is his conscience and not... It's the clear, bright line, right? Because it's a little bit yeah. like... It's like... Mm. He's like... the With the seeing the guy on TV thing, he's like, I could put this to rest, but like... If he could do that and know that it would never matter again, he would. But he mm-hmm. knows that it's going to become more of a problem. So yeah. it's like the oh, only yeah. th- the only thing to do here is to try and address it now, right? Like, yeah. there's no option where we wait and it doesn't come back to bite us. That's true. That is, yeah, he's very good at seeing what's going to come down the line. Can we talk about how, so when Marco has been caught as a, a, a grout or a <laughs> trorilla, um, <laughs> and Cassie says Marco's having... Um, issues with his family mm-hmm. um, you know she says we're your friends Marco you can talk to us keeping stuff all locked inside is what makes you get so stressed and Marco comes back with a tirade about all of the problems which I, I really it. love and want to talk about please read it Cassie everyone here has problems Axe is the only member of his species within a trillion miles who's not a controller you're a pacifist who spends half her time battling aliens Jake is just a dumb jock trying to play General Eisenhower Rachel is about three millimeters away from morphing permanently into the Terminator. And, oh, by the way, Tobias is a bird who lives in a tree and eats mice for breakfast. We all have problems. We're not exactly the poster children for Mental Health Week. Dumb jock? Excuse me? (laughs) I like how that's the only reaction to that speech, is Jake (laughs) objecting to being a dumb jock. But, and well, then he says, what right do I have to go nuts? Uh, And Cassie says, as much right as anyone, which is, again... Why I love Cassie and also why she's a she's big a problem, problem for the yeah. universe. It's like, yes, of course you have the right to go nuts in this situation or perhaps some less problematic use of language. But, but it, like, if everyone lets themselves It is funny that this that. is this is exactly this is exactly the problem each Animorph faces in their books over and over and over again <laughs> with all the nuance scrubbed away. But I love it so much. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Also, this, I mean, this is a hint, Gray. One of these descriptions is exactly the inspiration for a plot for a future Animorphs book. It's, it's all of them, isn't it? All of them? I'm just going to say, I don't know. I don't even know what you're talking about because I don't remember the future Animorphs books <laughs> enough. But I hope Rachel morphs into the Terminator. Not, no comment. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, I thought that they couldn't morph into like inanimate objects or like androids, that kind of thing. But maybe I'm wrong. I mean, morph a robot. There are no rules. Anything can happen. Good point. If she thinks that she can morph a robot, she can morph a robot. Does that mean if Eric thinks that he can morph, he can? Yes. Sure. Why sure. not? There are no rules. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So speaking of nuts, uh, this one had a lot of uh, of mental health language and just 
portrayals that were very much like, yeah, mental health problems are thinking the world's being invaded by aliens and like needing to be locked up because you don't understand reality. Like that is what mental health problems are to uh, this series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and was... like the way William Roger Tennant is like on the outside he seems normal, but inside he's like has a these rage tune. issues and right, yeah. right. Yeah, Rachel's like even for a year this guy's a psycho. We're talking. Where's my medication? Lock me up in a rubber room, psycho. And as far as we know, like yeah. the Yerks of the War Guild are pretty much all socialized to be this way. So they're not even accurate. <laughs> I actually have Warrior Guild Yerks written in my note. Because <laughs> 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 William Roger Tennant is like, I am a warrior, he cried, gesturing dramatically with me as a prop. This is when he has his fist around Marco's neck. <laughs> yeah. A warrior trapped in this hideous charade. How I yearn to lash out, to strike, to kill all the fools that surround me. When I'm stuck in the long line at the grocery store, I sometimes (laughs) shout, I am a podcaster! (laughs) How I yearn to commentate, to quibble, to proclaim things problematic around me at all times. We're interesting. Um, Why must I grapple with this line? My note on the I am a warrior section was just, all right, calm down. (laughs) (laughs) That's good advice. It's like losing his mind. Um, But yes, there is this sort of specter of like madness as like disconnect from reality. Mm -hmm. And like that is the be all and end all of. And it's so like, I didn't even take that many notes about it because I feel like we've talked about it a lot. We have, it's true. So like, I still love Taylor as a villain, Mm -hmm. but the fact that they're just basically going to the same well again with where Roger Tennant being like, oh, you know, like he's so, so unhinged. It's like, it's really lazy and it undermines the stuff that I like about Taylor, right? So like, this is a great example of why that's not only sort of like offensive and narrow-minded, but it's just like, it makes... It's it's not narratively interesting, yeah. Right, it's a boring trope. Though I Um, did appreciate that the way they bring him down is that Marco figures out how to properly annoy him enough, which just feels like really playing to Marco's strengths. Yeah. But, like, Marco calling things insane is, like, really, really, really baked into the character, right? Like, yes, that, like, is, that is true. Um, but this this is more, like, this is baking it into the worldview of the whole books that, like, yeah. yes, this guy yeah, is yeah, a little yeah. bit... It's also yeah. very Rachel, now that I think yeah, about it. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to say, since you brought it up, the beginning of the chapter where he's in Poodle Morph, and he's like, you know, like, I'm full of, like, energy. I have, like, <laughs> sharp fangs and claws, and, like, I, I've been, like... You know, all of my animal feelings. And you're like, oh, like Marco's morphing a wolf. He's a wolf, right? And then you <laughs> find out he's morphed a poodle to go nip at his heels. Absolutely not what I thought. I started reading that chapter and went, oh, you're the yappy dog. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I just you love understand it. It's so books. funny. It's so funny. I also really appreciated how they did the time jump. I thought that was very effective where they like, they're like, yeah, this is like the fourth or fifth time or whatever, half dozenth time that we've annoyed him in this mm-hmm. way. It's just, mm-hmm. it's working mm-hmm. really well. Mm-hmm. That was just very narratively effective. I feel like I need to say that after having criticized to most other things about this narrative. One other great Marco's view of the world thing is in the beginning when he talks about the issues he's having where he's like, yeah, you know, my mom died a few years ago and now my dad's getting, he's in, he's seriously dating this woman and she's my math teacher, you know, mm. like it's, it's a really tough situation. I don't know what my feelings are about this. I, you know, I bet a bunch of you readers out there, you've probably been through the same thing, <laughs> difficult family situations. <laughs> Wait, no, you kids, I'm fighting aliens too. My problems are objectively worse and I have no sympathy for you. And I'm like, Marco, that's hilarious. Good job. It's also like, it's super satisfying to read about characters like that because you don't want to be like, oh yeah, I guess, I guess like my problems aren't that bad. And you're like, no, now I get to identify this guy with real problems. This is so satisfying. My problems are worse than everyone else's. (laughs) 
Should we talk about the really delightful sequence where they're trying to annoy William Roger Tennant at this banquet? <laughs> yeah. So I think it's a good concept. I like the idea. Rachel's fundamental theory of the case is strong. <laughs> However, every single part of this plan is ridiculous and terrible. (laughs) It's so dumb. Several times in this book, I thought to myself, well, I must be misunderstanding what's happening (laughs) because it's so dumb. Mm -hmm. Like the two weeks thing. I was like, did I miss something? I must be me not reading carefully. Same thing with this banquet where... You're a very generous reader. You're giving a lot of credit here. I've obviously misunderstood what their plan is. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, I think Cassie says, yeah, Cassie says, something just occurred to me. And I, I was like, oh, no, it is actually that bad. It's only just occurred to you. How do we know which salad is his is a really fundamental problem with the plan. Their plan is to sneak into a banquet, morph into coverage. Why would you go via the kitchen? Why don't you just sneak into the banquet hall and go directly to his plate? What, what a number of great questions you're asking there. <laughs> Because they, and they're going to go into the kitchen, morph into cockroach, just get on a salad and make sure that salad gets delivered to this guy so that when he sees the cockroaches, he freaks out on camera. Mm-hmm. What? Okay, even if they had gotten into the right salad, someone freaking out about cockroaches being in their salad, I don't think it's going to destroy their reputation. No, it's I a very reasonable thing. Yeah, they actually did much better with him strangling the poodle. But I think, well, yeah, that's definitely true. I think it's more that if at any point he loses his cool, his reaction will be so oh, that might be outside, true, yeah. you know, sort of like Howard so Dean screams. So it's okay when Zach Hansen screams at like. Okay, are we going to talk about Hansen? <laughs> what what is a Hansen? <laughs> I as, don't know. Great, what is a Hansen? One of the 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 chefs in this book says, "What is a Hansen?" <laughs> what? Who does not know in 1999 who Hansen is? <laughs> if you're at an event where the guest of honor includes Hansen, surely you would know. Oh yeah, Hansen, that's that boy band. Even if you had never heard of Hansen, who are these people? How old is this person? <laughs> so so Hansen got big in like 96, I think, if I recall my personal timeline correctly. And this is, like, three years after, so they're probably still, like, pretty big, but, like, they've been around for a long time. Everyone's heard of them. Yeah. But I have to say, the reason Hanson is here is just so that the Ghost Rider can be really sexist and Mm. talk about how you should roll your eyes at teen girls who want to scream at Hanson all the time. And Mm. I think it's stupid. Although I appreciate that Tobias compares this to a Hanson concert, implying that he's been to one, and I like to imagine that he and Rachel have flown into a Hanson concert. That's a very nice idea. <laughs> but what that means in the text is, oh, all these girls screaming, it's so annoying. Yeah, it's no, just okay, the way it's like right, annoying yeah. when girls scream about their boy band crushes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's like they have the, you know, when when the the roaches are like going around or whatever and everybody's screaming, it's like all of the women are screaming and all of the men are going, shh, (laughs) just doubling down on it. What kind of, okay, so the banquet that they're at is the Solid Citizen Awards. So my question for you is, is Hanson getting a Solid Citizenship Award or are they... Or are they performing for Aren't the awards? Are they, like, actually very good people? Is that a yes. handsome thing? They're yeah. delightful human yeah. beings. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Even now. Like, yeah. now, they're, they still occasionally, they did a so tour a couple years ago. maybe they're getting Solid Citizen Awards for, like, they probably did a bunch of philanthropy and stuff. They probably did. Good job. Are they from California? Uh, I don't know. I was not actually 
particularly into Hanson because when I was 11 in 1996, I thought I was too cool for that. I was wrong. That is not what being too cool means. But they are from Tulsa, Oklahoma. But you know, they were probably in LA for like the music business stuff. Sure. I <laughs> I do I do like when uh the cockroaches are in a salad and uh someone screams. Uh that doesn't sound like tenant, Tobias said. It sounds like Zach, Cassie cried. <laughs> <laughs> well we know Cassie loves Hansen. She's the one who suggests <laughs> Yes. Uh using Bob when they initiate David. <laughs> Amazing. Cassie can recognize Zach's scream, <clears throat> even in Cockroach Morph, and I'm very impressed with her. That's so great. not only were there Hanson antics, there were also Axe antics, which were delightful. This was the part of the caper that I loved. Yes. The whole, like, Marco being a, um, a wolf skunker was... Okay, that was also completely unnecessary. Completely I would unnecessary. Just, I would just like to call out the, the thing where they're like, oh, only Axe and Marco and Cassie have the morph we need. The wolf spider. True. And we can't trust Axe around food. Very true. And Cassie <laughs> had to had to be with Jake and Rachel. I was like, what? Yeah, I, I what wondered if they were ever mean? going to come back to that. Never explained. Like, just like Jake and Rachel will freak out if Cassie does something dangerous. Jake and Rachel need her there as like a security blanket. They're just like a bunch of cockroaches in a salad. They aren't even doing anything where right. they need to be like managed. Like, that didn't make any sense. It did not. But the the whole thing with Marco and like the French waiter and like <laughs> emptying the pig bucket, that didn't do anything for me. The accent okay, no. was hilarious. But you know what was great? Yeah. Was when so the guy is like, You are needed in the back, the pig bucket, she is full again. And Marco's she is like, full? <laughs> That's so messed up. It's a it's a pretty um I mean, I guess it's a pretty offensive French accent. I don't know. I feel like we I don't think that, that was what he was talking French, about. Like, He's feminizing the pig bucket? Oh, what is the word for bucket in French? I, th- I thought it was just making fun of, like, giving genders to objects. That if if okay. it's because buckets are female in, in France, I'm willing to extend the benefit of the doubt to the ghostwriter. Okay, I'm looking it up. Uh, no, it's it's Lusso. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, bucket is not... Okay, all right, yeah, that's also very funny. Okay, while we're talking about it, Rachel says that girls aren't into Star Trek. Yeah! In this book. Ridiculous. So let's just let's just be glad that this ghostwriter doesn't come Ugh, back. So true. Okay, but then Marco's, like, imitating the accent. He's like, I will do the peak buckets. And then <laughs> Jake thought speaks to them. Marco, Axe, are you guys in place? I am here, Prince Jake, says Axe, of course. Where's Marco? He's cleaning up the peak buckets. <laughs> <laughs> Axe thought speaks to Jake. <laughs> I'm just so curious, like, what is the universal symbol <laughs> for I French know. accent? There's another great Axe thing where when he's... Breaking into the security system at William Roger Tennant's house in Squirrel Morph. He's also <laughs> chattering the whole time as a squirrel. And I'm just wondering what, like, you know, squirrelies universal symbols are coming out at that time. There were a lot of great moments of, like, Axe being completely calm in the midst of, like, absolute, yeah. like... Well, so the great thing about this is um, they know that Axe can't be around food. But oh, yeah. the, the thing that they set up so that Axe has to be involved in the plan is brilliant. Because Marco goes out back to the alley a second time and gets uh-huh. locked outside. And he's in human morph. So he is hearing all the thoughts speak <laughs> coming out... Side and he's desperately he he's desperately trying to knock on the door and then run around back to the front and he's like oh no I know that this is going bad because <laughs> Jake's like okay that's good just clean off the plate tax no you idiot don't tell him that don't say clean off I cried at the uniform doorman right and then Axe is of course like everything's fine don't he's worry like, about soon it soon it will be time to jump on the target 
<laughs> He's, meanwhile, picking up plates of salad covered in, like, dressing and stuff, licking them. To clean them. <laughs> to, it makes to clean them up. I, I liked just before that, as Marco is freaking out, Axe snippily says, I am quite capable of this simple maneuver. Marco was merely concerned that I would go postal, but I have no mail. <laughs> Axe is a treasure. I also like when um, they need Axe to be... Why does Axe have to be human? Does he not have a flea? No, he does have a flea. I don't even know. But he morphed a human and dressed in a second dirty uniform. Once I convinced him an apron was not a cape, we did okay. (laughs) I want that fan art. I just want Axe and human morph with a uniform cape. And then the way that this ends is really... So, like, people just have no idea what this (laughs) this boy is doing. Right, so Axe, Axe is saying... The humans are refusing to cooperate, Axe reported. <laughs> I am merely attempting to clean off their plates, and yet they are behaving in a hostile, aggressive manner. And Jake's like, what? And then Margo bursts through the doors into the room and jumps onto a chair and sees Axe about three people down from Tennant, face covered in Thousand Island dress- dressing, with lettuce stuck on his chin and on his busboy jacket. And then... He's ru- Marco's running desperately to catch up to Axe and then sees this. Axe yanked the plate from a woman's hands. It came away suddenly. Leftover salad flew straight into William Roger Tennant. Tennant yelped. Axe licked the plate. His tongue extended to full maximum. Then he moved methodically on. He reached for Tennant's plate. Soon it will be time to jump on the target, Axe reported blandly, as if everything was otherwise perfectly normal. It's so good. It really is. Um, and then there was some good Axe Marco stuff in this also. In addition to the excellent OT3 stuff happening, Marco gets Axe away from the head table, and now they just want to watch the fleas bother Tenet. And so they go to, up to this table, which probably has their mayor at it. They're like, may we join you? Uh, there's only one chair. It's okay. We're very good friends. I sat down and yanked Axe down into my lap. And then they just sit like that for the rest of the speech. You mind that there was, ah, here's that ship. (laughs) Here's that ship. They're just very good friends. There was, should we do more great act stuff? Because I had a lot of it. It was a lot of great Sure, yeah. Axe uh, finds out that Margot's dad is, is dating this woman. I'm confused. Are you saying that your father is considering taking this woman as a new mate? You could put it that way, Cassie said. But I'd rather you didn't, I added. He's just, ah, perhaps your father is young and restless. Those who are young and restless frequently change mates. Okay, first thing, we smash Axe's TV. <laughs> He also has important insight for Marco on how Marco, of course, had the lobster morph and couldn't mm-hmm. fly to the barn, so he biked. He's like, what? You're always telling me to exercise. And Axe is like, ah, yes, physical fitness. But surely a special array of artificial skins are necessary. From these messages, <laughs> I have learned that fitness requires particular shoes and particular clothing. It is not possible to become physically fit dressed as you are, Marco. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, it was so funny. You guys have so many more. Should I just keep reading them? Keep going. (laughs) Self-help books, Axe said. Uh, Are they similar to instruction manuals? Oh, not exactly, Tobias says. Uh, Self-help books are like instruction books for living. Indeed, instructions for living, such as consume necessary nutrients, breathe sufficient air. Hey, Axe just made a joke. I did. (laughs) He's very aware. (laughs) He's just being further, like, further engaging and dry humor. The going postal thing was definitely an intentional joke. Yes, that's Um. great. There were some good, uh, some more good Rachel moments that I liked. Uh, uh-huh. So actually, so I talked about Rachel and Cassie earlier. I love Rachel's first description, which comes earlier. Oh, yes. right? Rachel is tall, blonde, and beautiful. At first glance, she seems like a perfectly typical self-centered, spoiled teenage girl. Here's some advice, kids. Don't judge a book by its cover. If the Animorphs were a hockey team, Rachel would be our good. 
Okay, but also that is incredibly offensive to teenage girls who happen to be good looking. Yeah. That's true. That's horrible. I didn't actually pick up on that the first time. Wow. Goodbye, Ghostwriter. But yeah, Rachel says she's missing Felicity, and then Tobias says, you mean we're missing Felicity. I loved that so much. So good. Did you watch Felicity? I did not, but I love that they have a show that they watch together. I know. Um, But if the Animorphs were a hockey team, (laughs) who, what role would all the Animorphs play? Okay, all right. Well, Jake would, of course, be the captain. Does the captain traditionally play, like forward. Oh, the captain can play anything except goalie, but he would probably be a forward. He would be he would be in the face-off circle. He'd be yeah. he'd be a center. Rachel would be the goon. Okay. So, goons aren't quite as much a thing in hockey anymore, so I'm not sure if they're like would she would she No, she would have to be a forward too. She'd be she'd be very aggressive. Cassie would definitely be on defense. Yeah. And uh I guess would Tobias be the goalie? Does that seem right? Like kind of hanging back and watching and then like preventing disasters. Secret leader goalie. Secret leader goalie. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Does that seem right? Okay. All right. And then, oh, Marco would definitely be a playmaker, which like is a good thing for like the for- the center to do, but Jake's already the center, so he can be one of the wingers. And then I guess we'll put Axe on the other defense spot. And then we have a full shift. That doesn't, Axe on defense doesn't feel right. You're right. Like, I could mean, you put, could Jake be else? captain on defense or would Marco be like, like, you know, setting things up as a defensive man? I feel like, I feel like Jake or Marco would be better as a defensive You're player. right. Cause Axe does, Axe would be right out there in the action. Okay. So Marco, Marco could be on defense. That would okay. make more sense. Cause he does often see the flaws. He's like, oh, here's a danger that's coming. Right. Cause Jake, I really feel like has to be a forward and he has to, he has to play center because yeah. the center most often takes the face offs and he's like, it's like him and Visser three, like, mm. you know, with yeah. the hand on the forehead and stuff yeah. in, in 33. That's definitely. Jake would be out there right now. Is there the a run. thing in hockey where every time you play the opposing team, there's like the evil uh, blowhard captain and then five <laughs> anonymous players who get replaced by the next game? <laughs> wow, that would be of, brutal. That's kind of who they're fighting. <laughs> what does Chapman play? <laughs> right, or I guess which six Yerks would we pick to be on the Yerks hockey team? Chapman, oh, Visser 3. Oh, Taylor. Oh my god. <laughs> Chapman, Visser Tom. 3, Taylor, Tom. Okay. Uh, who are other years? Is Aftran playing? Oh. <laughs> Woman and on the inside. <laughs> now that is not a normal hockey thing. Where oh, this is one, obviously. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, That's she a would... very dysfunctional team. <laughs> this is why the, the Animorphs are going to win. Yeah. They just can't play together as a team. No one passes to each other. Everyone's afraid to, like, do anything except give the puck to Fisser 3. And the drode. There we go. That's six. The drode. The drode is coaching the year. <laughs> and the elevist is coaching the uh, the Edwards. Amazing. <sighs> All right. <laughs> Thank you, Jenny. You're welcome. We'll see if, if any of the listeners want to differ with my, my placement. Um, another another great axe thing. So the, the whole wedding thing was really uh, delightful, despite happening a weird two weeks after it was even brought up. Axe learned small talk. Big step. Uh, he tries to learn small talk. <laughs> I am very pleased with the atmospheric conditions we are experiencing today. The lack of clouds have allowed... That is grammatically incorrect. Okay. The lack of clouds has allowed the sun to show, show through, thus making our electrical lighting unnecessary. Then he repeats that word twice. Also, the lack of precipitation has kept my artificial skin from becoming uncomfortably damp, which... And then Marco's like, stop it. And Tobias is like, come on. He's just practicing a small talk. We spent hours on it last night. I just... I want to see that conversation. Absolutely. <laughs> but Tobias is like, okay, here's how it works. 
And I was like, but what do you say about the weather? <laughs> Thank you again, Marco, for inviting me to this primitive yet interesting <laughs> ceremony. My pleasure, Axeman. Do not go near the buffet table. How do you define near? Axe, I'm telling you, no food. <laughs> and then we learned that Rachel cried at the wedding. Which Lots of people cry at weddings. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't know you had actual tear ducts, Rachel. Oh. <laughs> There's a lot of things you don't know about me, Marco. I wish Marco and Rachel would just bond over their feelings. Neither of them can deal with their own feelings. How are they supposed to deal with someone else's? It would be so good for them. If they knew that the other one knew that they had feelings, it would just make it so much worse. No, but then it would make it better. Maybe eventually. That would require a lot of growth. But can you imagine Cassie going to Rachel and being like, Rachel, if you need to cry on my shoulder, you can. I don't think she would have the courage. She would know. She would know. She's known Rachel for years. I have one other funny moment that I really liked. Please go for it. I have a bunch of other stuff. Uh, Where when they finally get uh, William Roger Tennant to crack, it's in front of a network executive for (laughs) network UPN. Doesn't exist anymore. Ended in 2006. I didn't know that. All right. I looked it up. And (laughs) the UPN guy says, this is madness. Do you want me to put this lunatic on the air? Try Fox. I'm not interested. <laughs> and then I laughed it was a perfect. lot. Perfect. Because I know that that was not like, it's not the same Fox Network, you know. No, that was, was the Fox in Network that, that had the, the One beginning. Animal's Attack show, yeah. which we discussed in an earlier episode. Yeah, I was really a little bit horrified by this plan of having William Roger Tennant try to strangle Marco on the air because, like, they go into a lot of dangerous situations, but they're usually not in a helpless morph where they know someone, where they're deliberately trying to get someone to try to kill them. Yeah. He could have just killed him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It would have been bad. Yeah. Also, since he almost just got strangled earlier in this book when he was a bird, you'd think that he would be, like, more upset about it. Mm-hmm. That's, like, a really yeah. tough thing to go through. He got, like, strangled, and then his wing was snapped so that the bones were sticking out through the skin. And maybe I don't mind the morphing descriptions, but I minded that. Yeah, fair. Okay, I realized that there was probably nothing being implied here, but I chose to see that there was something being implied here. When Marco comes home and his dad and his math teacher are making out of the couch, and his dad's like, usually you're out so late, you know, with Jake. And I was like, does he think they're dating? I hope he thinks they're dating. Well, yeah, if he knows Marco better than Jake, he probably does. (laughs) I also, the thing where Jake is like, wait, what's going on with your dad? What's wrong? And Mark is like, he's dating. He's Jake's like, that's it? You already knew that. And Cassie's like, uh, Jake, his mom might not actually be dead, and his dad might not exactly be a widower. And Jake's like, oh, sorry, it didn't click right away. Why didn't you say something, Marco? I'm your best friend. And I was like, this is so sad. Uh-huh. Jake has so much going on, he can't, like, keep his friend's emotional problems in his head. And, and then he feels guilty about it, and he's sort of deflecting that guilt to be like, well, you should have said something to me, because I'm supposed to be this thing to you, even though I'm not doing it very effectively right now. It was sad. Uh, there was one morphing description that I really liked in this mm-hmm. book when he becomes the um, spray. Before it starts to go wrong, my toes began to merge, to melt together, the way yes. cookies melt into each other in the oven when you put them too close together on the pan. I loved that. I loved it too. It's like, you know what? It's very evocative and not that gross. Thank you. Thank you, Ghostwriter. There's like the next page or something. There was a description. The hairs on my arms started growing like super fast growing grass. And I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) So they started growing like grass, except, oh, wait, grass actually grows really slowly. Uh, Like grass that grows really, really fast. Uh, I I would just I hope that that's the only process that went into constructing that sentence. Like the hairs on my arms started growing like grass. Wait. Okay. Super fast growing grass. Got it. Exactly. Exactly. 
in that, uh, similarly, I thought the metaphor of the when he's morphing into the osprey, it's the the toes melting. Yeah, yeah, the cookies, the cookies. Yeah, that was great, gross, delicious. Like why? <laughs> no, I like that. Yeah. All right. Very evocative. The There's council rules against you, Grace. All right. <laughs> All right. You like that one. All right. That means you have to like it too. I do like it now. Thank yes. you for ruling against Fuck me. Fuck it, universe. High five. <laughs> Woo! I'm glad that didn't happen in the real universe. Oh, no. <laughs> so, okay. Question for you guys, because this is driving me crazy. Okay. Marco has this thing where he, you know, is morphing wrong, and he's like, Jake is letting me go on this mission as a favor, I guess. So I can't complain because of that. And then they they need someone to do something dangerous. Let me try some moron said. Wait, it was me. I had to. I was the weak link. I was the dubious morpher. I had to be cool. Where have we seen him do this exact thing before? Because I know we have. This thing where he's like, I will volunteer for something like really dangerous that I wouldn't normally volunteer for because I feel like I'm the like weak part of the group. Was it sometimes something in 15 where he thought he was a coward or something maybe? Will our readers tell us? Please okay, readers, readers tell please, us. Or listeners. We don't have readers. We are okay. Please listeners tell us. <laughs> Listeners, please tell us, because I cannot remember. It must be 15. Mm-hmm. Oh, Ted, did you happen to notice the thing where Marco is acquiring Euclid the poodle, whose name I don't think we've said yet on this episode, but it's Euclid. Such a good name. <laughs> Such a good poodle. <laughs> poodle for math teacher. He's acquiring Euclid, and he's, like, holding him, and then the acquiring trance wears off, and so then Euclid squirms, and he drops him. And it didn't just keep going, even though he was touching him. I didn't notice that. There's a limit. But I'm glad that you brought it up. Maybe Marco was just, he hates him so much that he just, like, withdrew his hand (laughs) briefly. He flinched flinched away (laughs) from the disgusting little monster. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I love Euclid. Euclid did nothing wrong. No, Euclid is perfect, <laughs> as all dogs are. What a terrible dog. Okay. Um, nope. Uh, wait, wait. <laughs> the council is pro-Euclid. Can we read the description of uh, Euclid when we first meet the dog? Uh, so, Toy Poodle, from the, uh, who belongs to the math teacher, whose name is Euclid, mm-hmm. and Marco describes him as Satan with a perm. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I was glad that he got to morph into Euclid later because I really liked the dog. <laughs> Tennant did not like the dog. He had the stupid blank exclamation point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tennant screamed along with a few other words I can't repeat. Yep. Always delightful. I have a bunch of 90s references. I had a, not exactly a 90s reference, but a, wow, the people who wrote this did not understand some basics of technology reference, <laughs> where they're looking at Tenet on his computer, and Rachel's like, he's doing a mail merge. Huh. It's a letter to the president of one of the TV networks. I was like, you don't mail merge a single letter to one person. And it's like a thank you note. Like, that's that's not what a mail merge is. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> Mail merge is when you have, like, writing to lots of people, and it's a form letter, and you're putting in their addresses and names and, like, all of them. I was so confused. (laughs) Rachel, or, well, probably not Rachel, but the person who wrote this has no idea how mail merges work. They're like, oh, it's a a computer email, or, like, a computer mail thing. Do you want to do 90s? There were just so many. There really were. I mean, obviously, the most important one is Hanson. <laughs> but also, Rachel and Tobias missing Felicity. Felicity. Big one. There's the Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, so Marco's mad at being on the Saturday morning shift. He should be asleep right now or watching the Powerpuff Girls. Cassie says, you know why you're here. You switched with Jake's. So you could watch the South Park Marathon last night. Yeah, but that was before I knew about the Powerpuff Girls Marathon, I grumbled. They shouldn't have more than one marathon in a week. It's just wrong. <laughs> TV was so differently structured at that time. Powerpuff Girls are great. They are great. So good. There was also a, uh, a, there are a bunch of other TV references. There's um, Chris Rock. There's ER. PlayStation video games. Yeah. Tekken, Duke Nukem. 
NFL blitz, mm-hmm. uh, whatever, practice all you want. I'll beat you. I'll crush you like Doc Martens crush ants. Excellent reference. Doc Martens are still cool. There's a bunch of Star Trek stuff, which was great. Except it wasn't great because so, Rachel was like, but, next mission, girls only. What do you think about Marco's idea for a Star Trek movie? <laughs> I'm not a Trekkie, but to someone who knows more about Star Trek, want to weigh in on whether it's... I'm a very ineffective Trekkie because I have only watched the original series. Does the and original so, series not have all the like notorious aliens in it? They don't. It doesn't have all of right them, away. and also I think you get a lot more dynamics of the Federation later. Mm. Like just like it's really, the universe the gets built out. Yeah. So maybe that is what he's talking about. Um, Marco says, you know, it's really a shame I can't get to meet that UPN guy. I have a great idea for a new Star Trek series. See, it's way in the future, and the Federation has been broken up by the Dominion, and only three ships are still. Marco, yeah, Jake, don't talk to the UPN guy. Poodles do not pitch show ideas. (laughs) Tobias says, tell me about it later. Sounds cool. I always thought the whole Federation thing was just too easy. And and then Rachel interrupts and says, girls don't like Star Trek. Actually, what she says is, please, next mission, girls only. But yeah. Poodles don't pitch TV shows is like that. It's it's in that series. Vampires don't wear polka dots. Poodles don't pitch TV shows. (laughs) Thank you, Jen. So, okay, I mean, the Federation thing, just too easy. Yeah, it's kind of fair. It's like a very utopian, like, 60s view of, like, every, all the countries will, like, come together and there won't be any internal Earth strife anymore. And, yeah, the Federation will just be strong throughout the galaxy. Still a big 90s view. Yeah, yeah, but Marco wants to complicate it. He's seeing beyond the 90s. Good job. It's 99 now. We're getting close to the end. There's also a reference to uh, chicken soup for the whatever. (laughs) Very part of the 90s. Chicken soup is good, but it has to be heart healthy and low fat. Well, exactly. And uh, General Schwarzkopf, ready for Saddam Hussein. Yeah. That was There was also a reference to George Washington, ready for whoever he fought. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which, which, come on, Marco, you were there. Yeah. He's blocked it out of his memory because that's where Jake died. It's very rough. Oh, so the Yurks did some good things in this book and also some bad things. Apparently, they're working on construction of, a, of new Candronas, which is a very good move logistically. Yeah. But also, William Roger Tennant, who I just wrote as Tennant in my notes and I keep calling, wanting to call David, David Tennant. Tennant yeah. William Roger Tennant knows that he's being harassed by this Andalite bandit. He can basically predict when it's going to happen. He doesn't try to kill the Andalite bandit or, like, tell Visser 3 so, like, they can lay a trap. Mm-hmm. Like, that, this is a golden opportunity for them, and he just doesn't take advantage of it. Yeah. It's a not. very risky plan on Marco's part. All right. Should we predict? So is there anything else you want to say about your prediction for Visser? I don't remember what I predicted, but now I predict that it's all about Visser 1 versus Visser 3. Ooh, Okay. Who do you think is going to win? Um, oh, no. I have to remember what order I, I said things happened with this or when. <laughs> well, you said she came back in <clears throat> 40. 40, and then... You had 40 and 50. 40 and 50, yeah. right. And then fake dies again, and then comes back in 50 and gets uninfested, and then is uh, mm. on their side for the next okay. one. That's what I said. So in Visser, maybe it's... No, because then that doesn't make sense. I was going to say, maybe it's like the backstory of the two Vistors and like how they met each other and started fighting. Mm, like okay. a continuation of Work Bashir Chronicles. Mm-hmm. But then why does Mark? Um, <laughs> maybe it's just... Uh, we Okay, what I want it to be is more space battle stuff. Oh, okay. So like, yeah, the Animorphs are whatever around. But like, actually, the main conflict is between the two Vistors and it's like the gold shirts versus the red shirts and like how nice. all of that 
space battle bureaucracy stuff is happening. What happens with the phone call? Um, Marco deletes it immediately. So he doesn't, like... He doesn't pick it up. They don't do anything from, from that? He just picks it up and cries? Yeah. And that's it? No, uh, he doesn't get to the phone in time, so she's already hung up and he has no way of reaching her. And nothing? There's no follow-up from that? Um, no, except that he knows she's alive now. So he's, like, trying oh, to find her. okay. All right. <laughs> so, I guess we should do 36, The Mutation. Are you looking at the cover? Yes, I am looking at the cover. Please describe it. Whose book is it? What are um, they morphing? Okay, well, it's Jake's book. So this must be Jake, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really look like him, but it doesn't matter. And he's in a wetsuit morphing into a killer whale. Cool. Did they get the killer whale in the David books? Or is this new? I think David was a killer whale in the Dave, in the David books. Okay, so is this new? They're, they've been dolphins and sharks and whales. I don't think anyone but David has been a killer whale. Okay, whale. so why is Jake morphing into a killer whale? Well, maybe the cut text will help. You. Oh, uh, it does not. You won't even get the chance to change your mind. <laughs> okay. Mutation. Ugh, I don't know. Um, can I can I look at the? Oh, okay. okay. Thank you. I know. It's because it's useless to me. It's wow, that's really useless. Orcas underwater. There's a cave with a light coming out of it. Oh. How's there light coming through a cave, Gray? Underwater. That's the last thing they did underwater. With the panel light ship? Yeah. But like on that inside cover, there was like a, a puppy ship. There was a puppy this ship. It would have been super helpful. Yeah. But. This one, not this so much. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, as that's the only um, lead I have, that's what I guess. I guess that they have finally figured out that actually just putting the Pemelai ship slightly lower in the ocean isn't actually that great a plan. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, something's happening with that. So <laughs> so you're saying that orcas can go deeper than giant squid? No, I'm, uh, no I'm saying the orca's going to have to protect the Pemelites. I don't know. Maybe the Chi are trying to find it again and they need protection from the Yurks. I don't, so it's this Eric with a flashlight is what's creating yes. and the, the glow from the cave. Yes. Uh, Eric with flashlight help. and the, the orcas are just kind of floating around outside to protect him. Yeah. I don't know. What are the Yurks doing? What's the mutation? <laughs> uh, it's going to be a morphing mutation uh, is what it's going to be. And it's going to mean that they like figure out, out something else about how the morphing works. That allows them to always do whales with wings or something. Nice. I can't believe that you nailed this one exactly. That's going to be great. Or there's absolutely no mutation. It doesn't come up at all. <laughs> what was the proposal? I mean, I guess it was Marco <laughs> proposing to Marco's dad proposing, but like also you didn't see that. I'm pretty sure it was Marco's dad proposing to Marco that he marry Nora. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, but maybe it was Rachel proposing that they annoy William Roger Tennant. The thing about the titles of these books is, <laughs> why are they so bad? All right. Well, that seems like a great note to add to. <laughs> if anyone has insight, let us know. <laughs> We're coming back for one, possibly two episodes about Visser. It's true. And then 36. If you want to find us, we are at animorphology.com and at animorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the Animorphs ebooks on our website. You guys Oscar. are still helpful, and the listeners aren't going to know, because I'm going to cut this whole part <laughs> out. good. No, our helpfulness must be known. That's um, all right. I'm going to make the obster <laughs> pun later. It's great.